This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with one of the all-time greats, simply known as A-Rod, calls games with Michael Kay uh, on ESPN, and is featured on the Fox pregame show opposite David Ortiz and Derek Jeter. He's recently added NBA owner to his resume. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Rodriguez. Alex! Thanks for coming on the program. Booney, what's up, my brother? It's been a while, and I was very happy to run into you at the All-Star Game in Seattle. It was very cool. It, you know what it was like? I, I was walking out of the – let me set it up for those listening to the Boone podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the tunnel. It's the end of a five-day extravaganza, and here comes the Expendables. And it's Alex and Ortiz and Jeter walking, <laughs> walking down to do the Super Show. It was great. But it, it was good to see you for a second. Shake hands. We played against each other for a lot of years, but uh, – haven't caught up for a lot of years today. Hopefully, we'll do that. Out of the shoot, close your eyes. Uh, what baseball card do you see of, Al- of yourself? What uniform? I would say, I would just probably say New York. And, and simply because what we were talking about earlier, Boone, is uh, winning there and spending almost 15 years of my career born in New York. My family's from New York. And look, it, it, I think any player would lie to you if they said at some point they didn't think or want to play in New York at some point in their careers. And it was a dream come true. Without a doubt. And, and we were talking earlier. I always wanted to do that. I love coming to Yankee stadium. Nothing like it, especially in the postseason. It's a special place. I remember the first time in the postseason, I went out there sprints before the game and I've told this story before. I'm telling you something came over me. I'd played in Yankee stadiums a lot of times, but never, it was a World Series. It was 1999, and I, I had a moment. I had to run off the field and gather myself. It was really a cool thing, but I loved. always loved hitting there. Uh, never never got to make it there as a player at, at the end of my career, which I always wanted to. Okay, I remember I, – I think of this. Four chapters of Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player. First chapter of your life, kid growing up in Miami. What, were you, what, what was your childhood like? Well, it was, uh, it was modest. Um, you know, mom – Dad left when I was 10. I was born in New York, raised in Miami. Dad left when I was 10. Um, at that point, I was already madly in love with baseball. Uh, Mom had two jobs, right? She was a secretary in the morning, served tables at night. And my two siblings, older brother, older sister, were both working. And, you know, it was modest, but I never felt that I missed anything. Every night I, I got a chance to watch the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets on WOR. And, uh, and then I just, you know, went to school and was like a regular, regular kid. I remember the second phase, I think, is is that kid in Seattle. And we missed each other. We missed each other twice. Yeah. I was a rookie. You know, I was a young player. Lou, Tri- Lou 
traded me away to the Cincinnati Reds. You came up in, in 1995, and then we missed each other again. You went to Texas. I came back to Seattle. I remember your first day right after the draft, they brought you into the kingdom. Hit BP. I was a rookie. My hair was on fire. I wasn't worried about Alex Rodriguez. I was worried about not getting sent down. <laughs> yeah. But I remember you coming to the kingdom and I'm watching this young kid and I'm going, he's hitting balls out the other way. You don't see 18 year old kids, especially in those days, maybe yeah. today's game with the players. But in those days, I didn't see an 18 year old right out of high school going oppo at the kingdom. And I remember me and Bone are sitting there. I'm like, who's this kid? He said, well, he's the number one pick. I said, man, he's got some pop for 18. I can't wait to see it. Obviously, we saw an unbelievable career, 22 years. What do you remember about those Seattle years? Because you had some, not a ton of winning, but you had an unbelievable lineup with you and Griff and uh, Bone, I mentioned. Poppy, who, who I yeah. think was a mentor of yours, was definitely a mentor of mine. What yeah. do you remember about those Seattle days? I mean, it was everything to me. It was um, like the purest form of baseball for me uh, being up in the Pacific Northwest for almost seven years. Uh, the fans up there are just unbelievable. And it goes all the way up to Southern Canada, right? When you go to Vancouver and Calgary, like the entire Pacific Northwest plus some of Canada is all Mariner fans and passionate. And then that team was an incredible group. I mean, ha having Lou Pinella, I, I mean, tough, tough, Great, great manager, uh, great teacher. And then you have Bone and Griffey and just a, a cast of Hall of Famers. And it was just a great place for me to develop my skills early on because Lou came from Billy Martin and he expected nothing but the best, always fundamentally tight. And then having that group of guys to be able to learn from, even Joey Cora, Felix Fermin, Luis Soho, uh, it was just a, a great time for me. You moved on to Texas. And I remember that because I was coming back to Seattle when you went to Texas and as a player, just as a peer, someone that, you know, you play against on a daily basis, big deal. You kind of broke the mold. You changed the dynamic of how we look at contracts. Even in 2023, you signed that first big deal when nobody else was even close. And I remember as a player, you know, you got a lot of slack for it in yeah. Seattle. And as players, we're sitting there going, are you kidding me? Lay that contract in front of any of us or, but, for that matter, lay it in front of any fan that's being a right. critic. And it was crazy. We're just sitting there going, this is great. This is groundbreaking. This is going to help us in the future as players get to another level. You were the first. You took a lot. And today you see these contracts, right? They're, they're a dime a dozen. And when guys move around and, and, and sign for a big number, there's not a big deal made about it. Oh, he's just going on. But back in your day, it was, oh, Alex is just going for the money. I'm going, do you know how much money that is right now? Of course he's doing it. And if you got to be honest, you do the same thing, fan. Yeah. <laughs> Take us through that time and, and you moving on to Texas before you obviously went on to, to New York. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Winnie, I came into that free agency as a 24-year-old, and I was thinking that I was going to get probably a seven – eight-year deal, never thought I can get 10. And it, it was unique because I was so young at 24. And I thought the target was somewhere on 150 to 180. And, uh, you know, when Scott Boris called and he said, you know, here's the number, you're sitting down. Uh, I said, no, I'm standing. I'm going to remain standing. And uh, I was hiding out. Those are the days you can hide out in Vegas where literally there was no Twitter. There was nothing. I hit out there for like nine days. And I was just getting restless. I needed to get back home to Miami and I missed my family. And 
I was just hiding out. And he finally called me and said, all right, you can go home. And uh, he told me the news. I went home that night. I landed in Miami at two in the morning. I drove to the University of Miami. I got dressed in the plane. I jumped the fence and I worked out from three in the morning to about six in the morning because I felt like I needed to hit the ground running. And it was time like, okay, now the party starts. The responsibility starts now. It was pretty awesome. And and those were your years in Texas. Uh, I was in Seattle. We had, we had some battles. I, I love coming to Texas. Good place to hit. Yeah. Uh, moving on to New York, go to New York. You make the change from short to third. I won't even get into that because I, at the time, I'm going, this is, the, this is the best defensive shortstop in the game, and he's going to play third. You went there. You end up winning a world championship, 2009, something we all play for. And the, the with the guys I've had on this program, you know, some guys come in, they've got three or four rings. Some guys have one. Some guys played their whole career. have Hall of Fame caliber careers never even got a chance to go to a world series it's so fickle you see it now on this side of the ledger in the media and and covering these guys on a daily basis how hard it is how fulfilling was that 09 world series oh man booney was everything you know because i went to new york i i moved positions i sacrificed a lot to come to new york i wanted to be a part of something special uh they hadn't won for a few years and i thought it was uh a good time to move over to third base and take on this new challenge. And of course, 4 we're up 3-0 against the Boston Red Sox, one game away, a few outs away from going to the World Series and probably advancing to, to beat the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, they shock the world and they come back and we lose. And then it was a long five years, 209. So long story short is I definitely grew an incredible appreciation after 15 years of how hard it is to be part of a world championship team. And I cherish that. And to do it in New York, uh, I have pictures all over my office with, you know, carrying that trophy in the float. And it's just incredible. It was all worth it just because of that. It's it, pretty remarkable, unbelievable. Uh, you, you brought up that 04. Still to this day, one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in sports. Nobody comes back from that deficit the Red Sox, that the Red Sox overcame that year. And still to this day, they, you know, top things that have surprised you in sports. It's always that 04 Red Sox team because you just don't do it, especially against a Yankee team, that bit, that big rivalry, especially back then. Um, you know what? You're one of the few people that I can tell the story to and you can relate with it because one of the greatest players, I always say the two best players I ever played with that were underrated, one with Johnny Damon, and the other one was John Oldwood. And I'm talking oh, about big rude. Right? <laughs> I mean, the awesome. guy, he is a killer. And if you tell people, and I tell people in the streets this, they're like, John who? I'm like, you have no idea how good this guy was. I mean, when it comes to winning games, this guy affected winning every single night. And if you track his career, everywhere he went, he won big. Right? And uh, he got hurt, like, in game four a freaky injury with a knob of the bat broke a, a small little bone in his foot. And it was right there. We, we had just lost and it was three to one. We were up three to one in the series. And I said, Oh shit, we're yeah. in trouble because we were so evenly matched and they had a pitching advantage and they had Pedro and Schilling and Lowe lined up. So even though we were up three to one and now one of our best players goes down, I said, Oh shit. 
And every time his, his back came up, he wasn't playing. Somebody else was hitting a number of other guys, and the rest is history. I, I love that you bring him up. Alex, to this day, and I just got to see Big Root at the All-Star game. We got, in, you know, that 01 team got introduced. Pretty cool moment. Yeah. But getting to run into Big Root with his backpack on, he one of the, he's one of the best human beings I've ever been around. People talk about favorite players. I have favorite, you know, I have a lot of buddies in the game, a lot of guys I was close with. But you talk about overall just men. Johnny Olerud's about the top of this. You know, that's a high bar. And, and every time I see a big root, what do you got in the backpack? It's like, Booney, I don't know. It's still the same stuff I have. My pencil and my and my uh, eraser and my my protractor. But, you, you know, you, Booney, as, as, a, he's, as, as a father of two, as a father of two, you dream that your daughters would marry a guy like John Oler. That's, that's unbelievable. Without a doubt, and and a great player. You're right. We used to, you know, because he was my first baseman, so we'd have a lot of talks during those those pitching changes. I'd be like, if Rude would come over to me, go, Booney, you think I'm ever going to drive in another run? I said, Johnny, I don't know. We got a month and a half left. I doubt it, but I'll tell you what. You're hitting behind me today. I'll try to move a runner if I can. Uh, he used to talk about, you know, he had such a great eye. I mean, him and Edgar, they wouldn't swing at a ball this far off the plate when me, I'm I'm chasing all over the place. I said, Johnny, could you imagine if we took your eye and my aggressiveness and we combine, we'd have something there. And he's like, Oh, Booty, we'd be unbelievable. But you're right. One of the true, uh, just, uh, I, I can't say enough about Johnny. Older. Yeah. Uh, back to this, this all-star game. We were both there. I think Katie Griggs and the Mariners did a great job. Um, yeah. You like coming back to Seattle and, and have you seen it grown? Have you seen it grown since say Oh one, the last time we were both there as all stars in, in 2001, I thought Seattle did a, a great job uh, putting it on, but your thoughts coming back, you covered it a little bit. I, I love coming back and it, it's kind of a weird kind of emotional thing, not to get nerdy here, but you know, I played for seven years there and, and there wasn't even a thought <laughs> of me getting booed in that stadium. Not a thought, because I was just a kid that came up as a 17-year-old. Right. Now, every time I go back, except this one, they actually treated me really well this time. They they, they, they would shower me with booze, obviously, because I left and all of that. But the funny thing is, I love Seattle. That fan base treated me like, like a son. And when you think about growth, I mean, a lot of people don't know that haven't been to Seattle. But for me, the greatest place to be in the world for those two or three months in the summertime is just spectacular. And then you think about the greatest companies in the world, like top three or five out of 10 are Microsoft, Amazon, you have Boeing, you have, you know, Starbucks. It, it's a booming city and it's completely paradigm shift of where we had it in the early days for me in the mid nineties to late nineties um, to where it is today. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I mentioned as players, we move about, you know, and, during our career after we do a lot of function off season, it's very rare that I get that Oh one team, we get together and you mentioned Johnny Oleru, but Nelly came back and big Freddie Garcia and Kazuhiro Sasaki flew over from Japan. Uh, Cameron was in town for, for that time. Uh, it was great seeing Lou. I got to sit down with Lou Alex and, and you have special moments once in a while and it's myself and Lou and Edgar and, and Johnny and we're sitting in the room right before we got announced, you know, pregame. 
and I did like I always did. I was sitting on the couch with him, and I'd get him going. I'd ask him, you know, I'd get him, I'd get him riled up with a question, and now it's Lou time, and he's holding court. And it felt like we were in a time capsule for about 20 minutes. You know, yeah. Bone was hanging out right outside the room. Bone sitting there throwing in his two cents. It was a really cool time and a special time. And as we get older as players, you know, you look back and you appreciate stuff that maybe when you were playing, you didn't appreciate as much. And that time for 20 minutes sitting in that room. And I know I talked to Edgar right after and he was almost emotional about it. Like, Booney, that brought me back. It was really cool. The Lou stories, he's been on the program. <laughs> the Lou stories are unbelievable. Uh, everybody's got one. I've got 50. I don't have enough time. You got one Lou memory or story you got. Oh, man. First of all, Lou's one of the most important people in my life when you think about my professional career. To go from Rich Hoffman, who I played for three years in high school, and then the next seven years to be under Lou's tutelage. I mean, those 10 years of uh, important years of my development as a young man, and my one regret, Booney, is I know I went to Texas uh, as a 24-year-old. I, I wish I would have remained two or three more years in the Lou. Because, uh, and I often think about what we could have accomplished if I would have played with you in 01 and Ichiro. And, I mean, that would have been unbelievable. And I've always wanted to play with you. And I was like, man, we, we keep missing each other. Um, but, no, with Lou, I, I remember in 95, I was just 19 years old. I got demoted. Uh, actually, I was 18. I got demoted five times in one year. And back then we were in Tacoma. So it was just a drive down that five highway. And uh, I know that route way too well. So the fifth time uh, you remember the corner office in the kingdom. I do. Uh, I think John Mack or Lee Elias said, hey, uh, you know, uh, Lou wants to see. You. And I go, shit, I know what this Here is. Here we going. go again. Yeah. And I probably like went 0 for 3, booted a bar, some missed a bunt, who knows. And uh, rightfully so. And then just frustrated, I'm like, this is the fifth time I'm going to get demoted. And he says, son, you got to make more contact. <laughs> you, you, you need to make the fundamental play. And I love you, son. I love you. Now, he's got his shirt is half open. He's got yeah. a beer in one hand. He's smoking in the other. And he gives me a big old hug and kisses me like a dad. And uh, you know, it was that type of like tough love, though, that developed the next 22 years of my career. And he taught me the right way to play baseball. He taught me the importance of fundamentals. And he's just an, he's, a, he's a baseball savant. He's one of the greatest managers of all time. Yeah. And I tell people all the time about Lou. He's not for everybody because Lou's tough and he's got to respect you not only as a player, but he's got to respect you as a man. If you have both of those from Lou, he'll take a bullet for you. If he doesn't. It could be a long year. And and you saw that with young pitchers. Well, it won't be a long year because you won't be around that. <laughs> exactly. And, and just getting him going at this All-Star game was great because you could hear it coming out. I said, Lou, remember when me and you almost went to blows? Because I had a lot of – Lou oh, yeah. sent me down three times too, so I know what you're talking about. One more thing about the All-Star game and we'll move on. Uh, I thought it was cool. After all the stuff, you know, I was there four days going here, there, there. You know, we did our on-field. I went up to the suite and I'm – I'm eating it, and I all of a sudden the game started. We, we got an extra ten, so we're good. So we're good. Oh, cool! I go up to the suite, and I'm getting ready to get. This is yeah. This is right before I saw you on my way out, and I sit down and I'm just relaxing. I'm getting something to eat. I'm having a little dinner, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the first or the second inning, whatever. I'm not watching the game. I'm inside. I'm watching it on the screen, and all of a sudden, I hear that that crowd erupt with the Otani chant. And I went, it got me out of my chair. I walked out 
And you were you talk about the booze you had in Seattle. I remember that in 01 when you came back. And I mean, but to me, I thought I, I, I would smile. I go, yeah, they're booing them. But that's kind of an adulation. That's kind of a respectful boo. You know how loud it was at Safeco Field. Now T-Mobile in 01. It was a rock. It was a it was a rock concert every night. And all of a sudden I heard this Otani chant. It got me out of my seat. What would you think of that? And to not only touch on that, and I'm tired of talking about it because, but it's so it's it's something I've never seen before. Didn't think I'd ever see in my lifetime what Otani's doing. So tell me when you heard the chant, and then just touch on Otani real quick. Yeah, well, I'll start with the end. I mean, the chant it's 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 well deserved because very you know you know this Booney. I mean, there's some things that just fit perfect, right? Mickey Mantle in New York. A big poppy as a Red Sox, um, Griffey in his early days in Seattle. There's something about Otani in Seattle that makes a lot of sense. First of all, from an RI point of view, ownership management, he's the one guy that you can almost pay him anything, 50, 75 million dollars, and you will get a return on that investment if you have a market like New York, LA, San Francisco, and Seattle. But you've seen the success that uh, all the others have had, uh, you know, Suzuki. Ichiro and others that have had very successful. They still, some of them still live there. I know Ichiro still spends time there. Uh, so I think that's a fantastic match. Uh, I think the Mariners are doing a great job with everything, their business, their player development, their drafting well, and Otani would be the icing on the top. To answer your question, Booty, I mean, they say the last time we saw this was Babe Ruth. Uh, I think Babe Ruth would be the first to admit that he didn't have the skills of Otani. Uh, first of all, this guy is the biggest, the tallest, the fastest, uh, <laughs> Uh, when you think about hitters, he's Aaron Judge in his prime, but also he's like three people in one. He's also Justin Verlander in his prime as a pitcher, but he also has in the last three years 21, 22 triples to Aaron Judge's zero. So everything about this guy is so unique that that I'm personally in awe, and I don't think we'll ever see this again. The one caution is if your ownership group that is bringing him in I think you have to be really clear on the expectations moving forward. How do you forecast what he's going to do pitching versus hitting or both, or do you pick one or the other? I think these are real questions that people have to ask themselves before they take on a huge trade or even a free agent. What is your expectations for Otani? I think you bring up a good point. And, and I was discussing this the other day with, with somebody. Uh, he has set the bar so high, Alex. And, and, if me and you would have sat down and had a discussion 20 years ago and said, Alex, you know, there's going to be a hitter that, that, uh, hits two two sixty, hits 20 homers, drives in 70. And he's also going to be the number three starter. We both look at each other like you're crazy. Okay. Just if you were a good player, just if you hit sixth or seventh and you were three or four in the rotation, that would be unbelievable. But the fact that he's doing, he's leading the league in homers. And he's he's an ace on the mound that goes to the mound every fifth day. He's stealing bases. He's stealing home plate a year ago. People don't understand. That takes a lot out of you, doing all that and then stealing bases. Uh, I think the cool part about him is, though, he does it with – it's not an arrogant way, but he'll steal second. He'll look at the second baseman. They'll exchange you know pleasantries, and he'll just smile like, yeah, I know I'm doing something freaky. But it's not from an arrogant breath, if you know what I'm saying. It's like I'm kind of I kind of pinch myself every day thinking, is this real? It's that unbelievable. 
I'm enjoying it, Booney. And I was a big fan of like your bat flips and all that. You were ahead of your time. Uh, so was Barry Bonds. So was Big Poppy. But today, all that will be celebrated. And I love that. And I love players having more fun. Look, it's it's hard to hit a home run. Uh, and, and these pitchers throwing harder and the ball's moving better. And when you do something special, like hitting a home run, which doesn't happen often, I, I think you should celebrate it. Let, let them know a little bit. Let That's them know. Right. Uh, you think Otani's playing somewhere else in September? I'll give you my thoughts. I want to hear yours first. Oh, man, that is a hard question because I can't forecast um, what Artie's thinking. But if if I was running the team and I felt like we couldn't sign him back, I would try to get an enormous package somehow. How about I just, you? I just don't know what it is. I don't think he's going anywhere, and for this reason. I don't even know where a team starts with, okay, what do you do? All right, we're going to give you Max Scherzer in his prime and Aaron Judge. What are you going to give me? And and by the way, Otani hasn't given you any assurances that he's going to sign on with you. So basically, give us your farm system. And you've got a rental player for two months. I just don't think we've seen the player of this mag magnitude that's going to impact at the level he's going. I just don't even know what the trade value is. And I don't think anybody does. It, I, it, think, it's a, go yeah, ahead. I think here's the thought that I would think about if I was if I was the Angels, I would want to get a bunch of draft picks. I want to load up my farm system. If Let's just say if Seattle. Seattle will have to sign them before the trade. So they that's, have to I, I, Now you're talking. Right? Okay. And yeah. then if I'm the angel, I'm saying, okay, you're going to take um, Otani, but I also want to give you some of my bad contracts. Rendon. Right. So if I can unload a few or, or one big one and take that off the books, plus refurnish my, my minor league system, get some draft picks and get maybe a piece or two, now you got something. It's going to be interesting leading up, and and I've talked about this a lot. There's there's teams right now. We've both been on teams like this, uh, where you're kind of in the middle. You're in no man's land. Where it's if we make a a push up to the trade deadline, that gives management the the okay to okay. Now we can add a piece. But if you don't, and you're in la la land, and management's kind of I don't know what we're going to do. We're kind of too far out, but we're not too far out. You know that place I'm thinking, and that's where the Angels are right now. They've won some games recently, but they're still, I think, four and a half back in the wild card. And what do you do? You got a week to go. You've got the maybe the biggest player ever on the market. So I think it's going to be interesting leading up to that deadline. It would be a different story if the Angels were clear cut to be a postseason team or clear cut to, no, maybe next year. I think there'd be some, you know, it, it would be a little more clear. But mm -hmm. the fact that they're not in or they're not out, add some more like fogginess to the situation. Yeah. It's definitely not an enviable place to be. If you have to make that, that move one way or another, because I can see a scenario where it's great and I can see a black swan event. If, if it falls on you with, with, and you don't get nothing out of it. Without a doubt. Uh, what teams surprise you the most this year? I mean, Baltimore is just a great story. I, yeah. I, I love what I'm seeing there. It took them some time, but they've drafted well. They've developed. They're playing good baseball. That's a tremendous baseball town. Um, obviously, Tampa just never, never surprised because they're so good. I, I think the struggle of the big market teams, right, the Yankees, the Mets, the Padres. Um, you know, Booney, I don't know how you feel about this, and I'm sure we'll have 
we'll come back on if you want me back on and we can finish this conversation. But I think baseball's gotten so data science driven analytics that I love, I love that department. I really do. Uh, and say that department is 80%, but there's gotta be a part where you gotta do a little bit less math and more hard, hard baseball, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think we're, we're, we're missing that a little bit. Yeah. There's that fine putting the two together. There's that, 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 that perfect match. And, and you got to have somebody at the helm that has that perfect match mm -hmm. to intertwine the two. Um, trade deadline. We've both been on teams. You played for George Steinbrenner. Another guy I would have loved to play for. You know, he's, he'll, he'll tell you like it is. You might be on the cover of the, of the New York Times, but I know at the end of the day, he wants to win. I played for Marge Schott in Cincinnati. Yeah, She was a character. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, she wanted to win. It's great when you play for somebody like that. How important was it for you in that clubhouse at the trade deadline when you see management has your back as a player, when they go out and make a move to bolster your team? Do you think that has that big of an effect? It has a huge effect, Booney. And here's the thing. it You know, I remember when, when Johnny Damon walked into our clubhouse, we became a world championship team. When he left, uh, we weren't. That, that's how important he was. Uh, when Brian Cashman made the great move of bringing John Olerud in, uh, when he walked into our clubhouse, we became a world championship team caliber. And of course he got hurt and we came up short and obviously the very infamous 2004 meltdown. Um, so nothing energizes a clubhouse more than really smart, uh, intelligent, gritty moves. Uh, at the same time, nothing takes the heart out of a clubhouse when management does either nothing or really stupid moves that that just crushes because now you have 25 26 guys looking at each other going what the what right are they you, you got to dig down and find a way you know it's yeah. it's almost like us against the world um okay i can only speculate what it's like to be an owner you're an owner now of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. How did that come together? How did that happen? Is it something you were always, always wanted to do one day? Yeah. You know, but it's not something I, I like dreamed heavily about. I mean, I always wondered, we, we all do. I mean, who, what, what baseball player wouldn't want to say, or any athlete, you know, I like to be in control one day. We all play fantasy uh, football. We all are making, you know, trades. When you and I were kids, we were trading cards. Uh, we had our favorite players. So we all dream of like, if, if we were in charge, how would we do it? Um, so I thought about it. We took a nice run at the Mets. Uh, we were the second winners behind Steve Cohen, who's doing an incredible job with the Mets. And it was good fortune because I think we, we were in a position where we were, we kind of hacked the system a little bit. We were ready to go when this Timberwolves opportunity came up. We had done about a year's amount of work on the Mets. So we were kind of like mid-season mid form. We were ready to go. Opportunity came. We moved very, very quickly. We love the NBA. We think that uh, macro is, is, is a global sport. Um, you have a young demographic. It's exciting. It's a two-hour game. Uh, and it's growing uh, year in and year out. So it it's kind of also helps that I, I wasn't a basketball player, uh, especially with our baseball players. You don't have that tension. Uh, baseball players, no matter what, they feel like I'm better than you. You're better than me. There's some right, of that. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I think it's um, – I, here's my prediction, Booney. I think in the next, you know, 20 years, you're going to have, you know, a couple dozen athletes, retired athletes are going to be part of ownership groups because I think athletes bring so much to the table. I think they're undervalued. 
And I think people like you should be making baseball decisions in big places. Um, and we need more people like you, more people like guys I grew up with, Reggie Jackson, you know, Roy White, guys that helped me out of my career. We need more of those people back in the game. Anything surprise you about now all of a sudden walking into the owner suite as an owner? Something that you couldn't have forecasted? I think the fact that is 365, 24-7, uh, sometimes for us the offseason is more busy than the season because you have summer league, you have a draft, uh, you have, you know, 30% of the league is global. So I just think that it never turns off. And uh, like anything else, Booney, if you want to win and you want to do it the right way, you got to be all in. It can be a hobby. It's pretty cool, too. And that's a good point you bring up. It kind of helps not being a basketball player, not being the big Alex Rodriguez, 696 home run, 2,000-plus two, ribby guy. It's kind of a daunting thing for a young baseball player. And this is kind of like, hey, man, I don't know anything about hoops. I just, I'm just the owner. So I think that's a pretty cool dynamic you bring to it. Uh, here's my nerd question. You're in Minnesota. Guys come up to you for an autograph. They got Yankee stuff. They got Timberwolf stuff. Definitely not Yankees because <laughs> we used to beat up the Twins uh, for a long time. So um, I would say Tim Bulls for sure. Uh, Michael K ran, uh, ran into him the other day. He's the one that put us together, thankfully. Yeah. So he's a friend of the podcast. I've had him on. Um, you do a broadcast with him. It's different. That, how is it different than other broadcasts that you've been a part of throughout your life? It's more like this. It's just like two guys having a beer, having a pizza, watching their favorite teams, talking smack, uh, having their buddies call on board, like on FaceTime. It's very casual. And I think, Booney, as we think about growing the game of baseball in all sports, I think this forum is going to be very well. I can see you doing this and watching a game if we're watching a game. And you should come on one day. Ah, we'll I'll tell you what. I want, I want to come on Okay, the, uh, the K-Rod show. That would be awesome. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll I, I checked out. You know what I was really, and this is real. I, I, I caught you guys one night, and uh, you had Barry, you had Bonds on, who's I played against him. You played. We all know he he was ridiculous how good he was, but I really loved that interview. It was real. Barry told it how it was. He he told you he was the greatest because yeah. he was. Yeah. It was kind of like when I watched Jordan's, uh, you know, HBO the special. Last dance, yeah, yeah, the last dance. I'm like. He's not arrogant. It's the truth what he's saying right now. When Barry speaks about hitting for that time frame in history, what he says is true. It's like I remember just being out there putting up pretty big numbers and, and watching Barry hit and go, he's so much better than me. It's ridiculous. I love that interview when I had you on. I told uh, Michael K the other day, I said, I saw the Barry interview. It's my favorite. So I want to have Barry on this program too, but you I'm going to hold you to that. I want to come on. I want to come on the K Rod show. That and ask Barry to ask me to come on because I'll give a good recommendation. He's a great interview. He's a great friend. And again, he's a very much underutilized asset that baseball needs to use more. I agree with you. He's awesome. Booney, uh, I got to bounce. I'm a minute late. Um, okay. But I'm coming back here. Anytime you want to finish, I'm just a call away. You got it, Alex. I appreciate you coming on. For all you out there watching the Boom Podcast, listening to the Boom Podcast, I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Booney.